I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Austin Letcher. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. This podcast is created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Everybody. Thank you for joining me on this fourth episode of Chordscast. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to these. Uh, we have a lot of fun putting them together, and uh, so far the, the feedback has been just great. So thanks so much for your support, and let us know if there's anything that uh, you'd like to hear from us. Just to give you guys a little bit of an update on uh, Chords, we've got some upcoming public appearances. Uh, next week we'll be in Irvine, California at the Global Genes Annual Summit. Um, we'll actually be participating as part of a panel discussion on registries and natural history studies. So I'm hoping that um, we have the chance to meet some of you there in person. Uh, if you would like to set up a meeting time to, to hang out with Austin and I, maybe we get some questions answered or uh, get to know us a little bit, feel free to email us at cords at sanfordhealth.org or you can find us on Twitter at sanfordcords. Um, we're pretty easy to get a hold of and, and we'd look forward to meeting any of you. The next week, or maybe the week after, we'll be in Washington, D.C. at the um, Nord Breakthrough Summit. And so the same goes there. If you'd like to set up a meeting, feel free to reach out. In this episode of Chordscast, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a, a gentleman named Dan Brentrow. Um, is a community member here in, in our own hometown of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Dan's daughter, Raina, was diagnosed with Friedrich's ataxia. He's going to talk about his family's journey after receiving a rare diagnosis, talk about some of the uh, fundraising that he has done with his nonprofit, the Finish Line Fund. We're also going to be joined by Dr. Peter Vitiello. He is a scientist here at Sanford Research. One of the projects in his lab focuses on Friedrich's ataxia, and he's actually done some work with uh, Dan's foundation, the Finish Line Fund, and uh, they'll be talking a little bit about that project together. Um, It's a really great story about receiving a rare diagnosis, uh, looking for answers, and finding someone who's looking for the same answers from a scientific standpoint right here in your same town. I thank you once again for taking the time to listen, and I hope you enjoy. and I am here with Dan Brentrow and uh, Pete Vidiello. Dr. Vidiello is a scientist here at Sanford Research and uh, Dan is a community member uh, living here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, Dan's daughter, Raina, was diagnosed with Friedrich's ataxia. 
And um, you know, we're here today to talk about a really cool collaborative project that we've got going on between Sanford and Dan's Finish Line Fund. So Dan, maybe a, a good way to kick this off would be if you could give me um, just a, the background story. You know, what's your connection to the rare disease community and, um, and what's, how have you been active? Sure. Um, I, I think it's probably a, a two-part story. There's the sort of the passive member of the rare disease community and the active part. And uh, the, the passive part came uh, the day that we found out that my daughter uh, has Friedrich's ataxia. And uh, she was diagnosed at uh, the Sanford uh, Castle uh, here in Sioux Falls. It was you know, definitely a, a life-changing event for her, for mm. her parents, for her whole family and, and network of friends. It was a uh, diagnosis uh, to explain a few minor inconveniences uh, as far as symptoms that she had at the time. Um, just a little bit uh, of difficulty walking, and, and uh, but not, not tremendously so. And so with the initial diagnosis, you find out that you've got this rare disease uh, that you know one in 50 or 60,000 people in the United States have, and that it's you know an onset disease uh, in childhood, but it, it doesn't really start to kick in with with major symptoms until you know, later, like in your mm. teens and early twenties. Yeah. And so, um, when she's, you know, 12 years old at the time, um, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't that pronounced. It was just something, you know, okay, this is, this is what we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. We know that the future is looking, uh, a little more grim, but there's time, uh, you know, researchers are working on this. You know, we, we researched it right away on the internet to find out what, what this all means and read whatever we could. Mm -hmm. And you find out that, uh, you know, important and, and um, you know, optimistic facts like since the late 90s, researchers have identified the mechanism of, of the disease, meaning that this is caused by a, a, a specific protein deficiency. Uh, and so, you know, for a rare disease that affects so, so few people, only, you know, 5,000 people in the United States, uh, total uh, to know the mechanism is important because that helps you right. direct the, the research and where it's going next. Yeah, and from and, a research perspective, that's a pretty recent discovery too. You know, in the 1990s wasn't all that long ago um, to really understand a real funda foundational element of that disorder. Right, and so you know, um, we're sitting there at, at the Sanford Castle and, and trying to help a 12-year-old figure out what this means and uh, also coming to terms with it ourselves. And, and I remember telling her, uh, uh, as we waited for, uh, you know, the valet to bring our car back so that we could, you know, start our new life uh, with this diagnosis, that uh, <laughs> I, I told her that, you know, there are, there are researchers out there that are working on this. And uh, <laughs> somebody out there is, is working on the, on the study that's going to cure this mm. uh, or you know, find the treatment. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, you know, it's what parents have to do uh, to remain optimistic. I genuinely believed it, that science can solve this. And it's really just a matter of, you know, when, not if. And science is able to, to basically take any complicated project. And if you apply enough time and effort and resources mm -hmm. We can figure out what it is. There's, there's been, I think, very few things so far in, in the world of science that we haven't been able to solve by, by spending more time studying it. 
And so I, that's what I told her is that it's, it's not a matter of if it's when, and, um, you know, we've got a few years before it's going to start having noticeable symptoms and, you know, a few more years after that, before it's going to have, uh, more, you know, dire symptoms, uh, it affects mm-hmm. your heart, it affects your nerves. Um, so it causes early onset heart disease and this disease will cause her to slowly lose, uh, mobility, uh, her, her legs and her arms. And so, you know, the, the, the parallel storyline at that point in time is that there definitely was someone working on it and he happened to be right across town. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, of all the places to be in the world, uh, to be working on this disease, you know, hundreds of researchers dedicated time to this, uh, there turned out, turned out that there was a laboratory here in Sioux Falls here at Sanford research. Uh, and Dr. Peter Vitiello was, working on a small piece of a small study that, uh, you know, could help move this forward. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the passive phase of this is the first two, three, four years of, of this disease. Um, I was optimistic about science and hoping that they'll do something and, uh, you know, just being a dad and, and helping Raina, uh, you know, move on with, with life and, and try to make sense of it. Um, the active phase, uh, incidentally, uh, started a year ago today. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I had signed up to run a marathon, uh, uh, with my cousin. And after signing up to run the marathon, discovered that there was a group of, uh, people here, uh, that were running the marathon to raise funds for Friedrich's taxi research, oh, including really? some, uh, some people from South Dakota, from Watertown. Wow. And so <clears throat> this, this idea of running my first marathon, which was, it, it's a, it's a fun thing to do, but it, it suddenly, uh, took on a, a whole different meaning. And, uh, my goal was to raise a thousand dollars a mile for, for 26.2 miles and, uh, to raise the money in 14 days, um, to, to, you know, find a way to help further this, yeah. this research. And so that's what we did a year ago today. We went online and, and set up the fundraising page, contacted all my friends, all my Facebook friends, work colleagues, uh, family members, and then, you know, word gets out. Uh, yeah, the beauty of social media. Yep, yeah. and so uh, we did it. We actually, we I think, hit $30,000 within about uh, just a little over uh, two and a half weeks. Uh, wow. And so uh, as part of that, though, um, t- two things happened uh, as, as realizations. The first was uh, I talked to... Uh, the people that that fund these studies and this work to find out what twenty six thousand two hundred dollars pays for, and partly to just to help understand for myself, but to to quantify it for somebody who wants to donate. Right. If you can donate thirty dollars, what does that do? If you can donate a hundred dollars, what does that do? A thousand dollars, what does that do? Exactly. And then collectively, what does twenty six thousand two hundred dollars do? And the answer is. It, it does stuff, but it is such a small drop in the bucket. It doesn't even fund one study. Uh, you know, the average study uh, would take, you know, 75000 to $150,000 a year. And so we did something uh, by raising this money, but we needed to do more. So the, I guess the, the second realization was that um, we wanted to find a way to do something bigger and, and broader and and it was, you know, during the marathon, I'm, I'm running this race, um, <laughs> trying to, to oh, finish. Man. Yeah. I can't and imagine. You have all the time in the world to think about stuff. Right. <laughs> and, uh, very few distractions. 
Um, and uh, it's actually a nice to have the ability to think about stuff because then you could not worry about your legs or your, right. your, your breathing. <laughs> the, or, the, the why, overall pain you're in. Yes. Why, why did I really do this? Um, and uh, so my, my thought was during the marathon, uh, which you know, over several miles, I want to raise uh, $100,000. Um, and how do you do that? Uh, because I can't run a hundred miles uh, every time I, we need to fund this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, a middle-aged man uh, that doesn't have it in him to, <laughs> to, to run every single one of these miles. I need someone else running with us proverbially uh, alongside us. And my thought was, um, you know, whether it's, it's naive or not, my thought was if you could raise money locally here in Sioux Falls and uh, tell people that it's going to go to local research over at, at, at Sanford, uh, for example, uh, show up with uh, a, you know, a wheelbarrow full of cash and say, <clears throat> I want you to research this disease. We're hiring local scientists. Uh, the money stays locally. It would be a lot easier to raise that kind of money if people could give knowing that. Mm-hmm. That, that was my theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we finished the race. Um, by the next day, I had already decided I wanted to run another marathon, um, and so I was <laughs> stuck now with this new hobby, <laughs> and then uh, started pursuing this this idea. And so uh, contacted uh, some folks through Sanford. My my cousin who ran the marathon with me worked for Sanford, and uh, you know helped me <clears throat> figure out where you send an email. Uh, to, to, to propose the wheelbarrow full of cash in exchange for science. <laughs> sure. And uh, they, they, we came up with, uh, I guess, a couple of places. And so the first call I got was from the marketing department saying, that's a great idea. And uh, my response was, I agree, but you know, marketing doesn't solve it. So where does this end up? And the email, as you know, <laughs> finds its way to you uh, yeah. over here at Sanford Research. Um, and, uh, it's probably not common to receive emails like that, but, uh, the, my understanding is that when you saw the words Friedrich's ataxia, uh, your, your attention perked up. Yeah. My ears perked right up. Yeah. You had worked with Dr. Vitiello four or five years earlier on a small piece of a small study on that disease. That's and right. you, I think were probably one of the only people in this entire building who could have understood the significance of the connection mm. um, of the offer of the wheelbarrow and the, the idea that you actually had a guy on staff that uh, that knew more about this and, and could pursue this. And so that led to me. Uh, it was definitely serendipitous. Yeah. It, is, it, was a, it was a cool experience to see, well, hey, I know what we can do with this. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> and that's just what it is. Uh, so I, uh, I got invited over here to Sanford Research to meet Dr. Fitiello. I brought Raina with me, and uh, and we got to know Pete. Um, got to learn more about the disease. I, I will never forget. You know, one of the most special parts of that meeting was uh, watching him take eight and a half by eleven blank paper and and start sketching for Raina. Uh, what's going on in your cells and your mitochondria? And this is what your disease looks like on a scientific basis. And this is what we know. This is what we're theorizing. This is what we don't know, and um, and explaining you know what this uh, this previous study had done and, and where it could go, mm-hmm. uh, and that 
that set the table then for for some other things to happen and Maybe Dr. Vitiello can yeah take the next step. Sure, absolutely. So, so Pete, you know, you've you've been a, a scientist for you know, you know, over a decade now, doing um, basic science research, looking at uh, you know how different proteins in a cell or you know, how how different components of a cell work together to make everything work properly, or in the case of disease, improperly. So, how did you get here? You know, where where did you start? Um, Every scientist has a, a background story. You know, where, how did you get into what you're doing today? So I became really passionate about uh, science, uh, really through medicine. Um, however, I kind of recognized early on, I didn't think actually a, a, a clinical career was something that I was really interested in. I became really interested in a lot of the things you couldn't see because I was a visual learner. I, you know, biology textbooks. Um, how do they know that these these cells exist and what they look like with all these little components that work together and coordinate tissues and how do they know how they fail and how does that cause a disease? Um, and I became really interested in research uh, for those reasons and uh, kind of in growing that interest, uh, just kind of continued working in laboratories through uh, my graduate career at University of Rochester um, where I got a PhD in toxicology uh, because I was interested in how that machinery of the cell interacts with things in the environment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to promote normal function and promote dysfunction. Um, and then had my own serendipitous opportunity um, to come out, uh, move out to Sioux Falls, South Dakota at Sanford Research to run, have the opportunity to run my own laboratory program. Wow. Um, and in doing so, had to really identify kind of who I was as a scientist. That's one of yeah. the things that's kind of a, an obvious question, but it's a really hard one is kind of reflecting and, and on who you are. Um, because a lot of my prior work had been exclusively focused on specific diseases and looking at uh, lung diseases surrounding uh, the complications of prematurity and lung development. Um, however, I quickly learned some of the molecules I was, I was studying they weren't just important just in the lung. They're actually molecules that are important in a lot of different cells in the human body. Yeah. And Across it a seemed lot of like, tissues. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and that's the thing. It seemed like there were a lot of other um, functions and even diseases that could be influenced by these molecules. Um, so I am a redox biologist at Sanford. Uh, I'm very interested in antioxidant enzymes that are produced by the cells in our body. So we're not talking about, you know, the antioxidant power of pomegranate juice here. We're talking about <laughs> uh, actual genes that are in our cells that make antioxidants that are quite powerful. And in helping control um, just, just normal cellular functions. Sure. And essentially, I got brought into a project a few years ago because of that expertise where Friedrich's ataxia, one of the things that's known about it is that the genetic mutation and the protein deficiency causes a disturbance in the redox balance of the of these cells, specifically in their mitochondria? Yeah, redox means the the balance of of antioxidants and oxidants, right? Yeah. So this is something where um, it's just an inherent property of chemicals, um, chemicals that are that are in our cells, chemicals that you're exposed to. Sure. Um, it's uh, 
it's a huge liability to burn as much energy as human cells do. So a caveat is you could make all these chemical oxidants, mm -hmm. um, which could be toxic in certain quantities. So you need systems that are going to um, be able to uh, detoxify those. Sure. That's where these antioxidant enzymes become very critical, especially in uh, the mitochondria of the cell, which is responsible for a lot of energetics um, in tissues such as uh, neurons and right. muscle. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's bio 101. Mitochondria <laughs> is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> it should be like a schoolhouse rock on that. <laughs> the, the, the corollary to that, then, it's the, you know, mitochondria is the you know, like the battery pack for the cell. And just like any uh, fuel source, whether it's your car or uh, a coal-fired plant, uh, it creates, you know, the, the process of creating energy creates uh, waste and pollutants and mm -hmm. so what what the redox science part is is how the cell cleans itself up uh, after it produces energy absolutely well put yeah and the important thing about kind of going back and defining who i was meant uh, as a redox biologist and what i was my expertise uh, spoke to you know meant uh, i could look at how those systems functioned in a variety of situations and different diseases so i was working um, collaboratively with uh, somebody who was dedicated her entire career to Friedrich's ataxia um, and uh, had some interesting results where she thought my expertise would help advance the project. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where there's value in uh, kind of the basic science you mentioned, Ben, where a lot of times people approach problems by saying, you know, we know the cause of this problem. And we know we want to know how to fix it. A lot of times, basic science, though, maybe you're not studying a precise disease. Maybe you're just studying how Mother Nature works. How do how do cells behave? How do the molecules in those cells behave? And by understanding that and understanding how things normally function, you may not have a direct application, but you may find one as you start to understand that process. And that's where we kind of came together, where I was studying a lot of these antioxidant systems um, from the basic science side, and then had somebody coming from the disease side who was very interested in Friedrich's sure. ataxia, and that's why we were able to work together. Exactly. You know, I, I had the... Uh fortunate opportunity to work on that project when I was a, a, a researcher in the laboratory. And so uh, that's that's kind of how this all came full circle. Um, that's such a cool story. Uh, so Pete, what's, what's probably the most rewarding thing uh, as a scientist to studies the, the more basic side of science, uh, the more basic side of research, I, I should say. Um, what's the most rewarding thing when you find an avenue to apply what you're learning in the cell. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a selfish stage stage, and then there's a service stage. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of going through those sure. emotions. Um, I'll be honest. There's one part of me that when we do an experiment, we get results. It's an amazing feeling to be the first person in the world to know those results. Yeah. And we were actually talking about some data updates today, and that's exactly <laughs> I think some <laughs> of the emotions we were talking about <laughs> were coming up. And it's, uh, it's certainly a motivating thing. It's a special feeling. Um, but then, of course, turning that around and the service side of that is figuring out how to apply that. Uh, yeah. That's great. What's the next stage? Sure. You're not going to keep that to yourself. You're going to figure out how do we 
how do we mobilize people who are experts in this other area to now look at this new this new avenue this new trajectory that you've discovered um and uh that's where you kind of put yourself out there to the scientific community, to the greater community, mm -hmm. to people like Dan, especially in the rare disease community, where it's really driven by patients and family uh, mm -hmm. to a large extent. Um, and to, to bring the right experts together, um, the right resources together to create a new research trajectory. And that's really special is seeing people mobilize around yeah. an exciting result like that. Absolutely. And it's something that I've been overwhelmed to have witnessed uh, several different times working in the rare disease space, uh, the patients and the parents, you know, the families become the experts. They do exactly what you did, Dan, and they, they go home and they pull up Google and they look up everything they can possibly find on it. In a lot of cases, um, interactions with the researcher, they're very, very on par with each other talking about the, the cellular uh, mechanisms going on behind it, even though those folks didn't like Pete, go to grad school for this sort of thing. You kind of catch up um, because you have to. Uh, it's something I've always admired and, uh, and uh, I've grown to respect about um, the folks in the rare disease community. So I'd like to ask both of you the same question. And I'll start with you, Dan, first. You know, from, from your experiences here and, and um, from, from your experiences with Raina going through her diagnosis journey and everything, what... Looking towards the future, what sorts of things give you a sense of hope or a feeling that we're we're on the right track and that um, that we we will find something to um, lead to a therapy? I think there are probably two answers to that. Like what gives you hope and and what makes makes you think something's coming. Um, mm. The hope part is probably less scientific, and it's it's more the the response that we have gotten from others when we move forward on, on attempts to raise money and raise awareness. And so, you know, what happened after we met uh, Dr. Vitiello here, you know, for the first time is had a couple more meetings. And then uh, I, I just said, write a proposal about how you would spend $75,000. I'll go find the money. And <laughs> I didn't know if I could find the money, but I had, uh, you know, hope that I could. And, sure. uh, that's what Dr. Vitiello did is, is wrote up a proposal about what we could do to, to further the, the knowledge base based on the prior study. And we, you know, circumvented all of the conventional grant writing, uh, deadlines and submission process. I mean, he sent me a draft and, and I said, okay, let's go. And that was it. Uh, mm -hmm. with, with the understanding that uh, as we get into this, he'll find new things and refine it, uh, but that we had the right guy and the right mission and, um, and a need. Uh, and so uh, the day after uh, Thanksgiving, we launched our fundraising campaign uh, with the hope of having $75,000 as a, in, the, in the bank by Christmas Eve, and we surpassed that. Uh, we had the money before Christmas Eve, and actually by New Year's Eve, we had $100,000. $3,000. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, which allowed us to then expand the study. And, and that money comes from, uh, from friends and from family and coworkers and colleagues and from total strangers who recognize the need and who uh, share the vision that, that something can be done and mm -hmm. who understand that uh, rare disease work is by simple economic 
uh, factors underfunded. There mm-hmm. aren't enough people with rare diseases to make the uh, research as fundable right. uh, without the intervention of uh, either you know, federally funded efforts or from private foundations or from people crowdfunding it like we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that response that we got in, in December of, of 2017, uh, that's what gives me hope. And then you know, the people following up that see me uh, and want to know how their $40 is doing or how their $800 is doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a donation, you know, how is the science going? How's the study going? And did you find it yet? And so, you know, that, that gives me the, the hope part. Right. Uh, a lot of hope in community. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the, the part two of the answer then is what gives me the, the optimism on a, on an objective basis, on a scientific basis. It's, it's seeing the data that we looked at today. I mean, that this, you know, the answer is, uh, as far as the update, this, the study's working. We're finding out new stuff that nobody knows, uh, that nobody has discovered yet. It has potential applications to help us figure out a potential treatment. It has, um, um, definitely application to open up several new avenues of study to figure out, you know, well, this, this is an interesting new discovery. What else can we learn that's connected to this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it goes back to the same thing that, that I told Raina, uh, at the front door of the Sanford castle, yeah. which is that they're out there, they're going to find it. It's just a matter of, of time and money. Yeah. And, and how, how special and how cool that we were able to find a group of people right here in the same city. <laughs> it's, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't invent a storyline like this. Um, it's just unique and special. But, you know, at the same time, I kind of think that it perhaps is not. That if, uh, if enough people had uh, the ability to try, uh, there are scientists doing stuff like this uh, you know across the United States and it may mm-hmm. not be five miles from your your house uh, but you know it's just a matter of, of continuing to push the ball forward right and um, I, I think that you know the only thing holding other people back is the complete and utter nonsense of the idea of showing up with a wheelbarrow full of cash and asking for science. <laughs> it seems like but, a simple transaction. <laughs> but it's, uh, that's, that's how it works. And yeah. uh, if you bring your wheelbarrow to the wrong place, go to the next place. Uh, if your wheelbarrow isn't full enough, keep filling it. Um, I think that you know, it, it's going to take more of, of this type of effort to, mm. to keep pushing it forward, in addition to all of the traditional, well-established channels uh, like NIH, Federal funding and like uh, you know, major uh, private foundations that, yep. that fund this stuff. Um, you know, th- like you said, the, the parents become you know miniature experts on this. And I, I don't understand this at a level that a PhD does. Um, I can keep up with some of it, and uh, I know I know what questions to ask about half the time. And, and that's it's not unique to rare diseases. You know, if your child is diagnosed with cancer, if your child is diagnosed with anything um, yeah you become an expert in, in how this works and learn the science right um, but it's I think it's just a matter of, of feeling um, invited to go and, and make a, a small step towards something and um, you know and that's that's behind the I guess the the name of, of the foundation that we started the finish line fund uh, everybody 
talks about you know these diseases and, and the goal is to get across the finish line and find a treatment find a cure and the only path to the finish line is one step at a time right and um, you just keep going yeah it's it's very apropos you know you're using the analogy of a marathon uh, because that's it's really how research operates it's it's not a sprint um, in most cases it's uh, it's a it's a long course that uh, takes you down a, a bunch of different paths <laughs> to, get to, the, to get to the end. It, I don't want to take the metaphor too far, but you know when you run twenty six point two miles, you might have uh, a handful of events along the way where specific people are cheering for you, and uh, or you run past the the live music band that's playing yeah. a great song, <laughs> and it gives you this burst of speed, and then you know it slowly wears off, and you wait for the next one. And I, I think that's what sciences you know wow. just yeah. waiting this you know we raised the money in december and now in september we have data that proves that we're on the right path uh this is this is running past the band right now it's 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 like wow you know oh, that's awesome <laughs> let's go let's run a little faster let's raise some more money and let's uh keep pushing yeah that that's uh, that's awesome so well put uh it's great so pete uh, as you look towards the future and, and, and reflect on your experience here, what, you know, what gives you hope for, for research in rare diseases like Friedrich's ataxia? Yeah. So I'm going to use a, oh, maybe a different analogy here. Cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a puzzle enthusiast. I, I love doing just jigsaw puzzles <laughs> and, uh, not so much running marathons. <laughs> no, no, I'm not that <laughs> ambitious. Um, but you know, you have to think about it. There's, there's, Different scientists, we all have kind of our own expertise. We're something that specifically we're very knowledgeable in. Um, so therefore, we look at a problem through a very specific lens uh, or filter. And uh, you have to imagine a lot of times we're trying to understand what's going on. Um, it's like a, a puzzle, but there's maybe uh, the pieces are blank. Um, except maybe you know, looking at through your specific lens allows you to see a small part of that puzzle so you can work on it and other people can work on it. Um, and then you could do that obviously in isolation of one another, but you're not going to be able to solve the whole puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest thing about kind of Friedrich's ataxia and what we were doing, the ideas we were discussing and sharing with people in that community is um, that gives me hope specifically is kind of a recognition that, you know, based on how science advanced in my specific area that I have expertise in, I saw a huge gap of understanding and an opportunity for me to contribute that knowledge within this field and sit down at the table studying Friedrich's ataxia and be able to look through what we're trying to solve with my specific lens and contribute to that and sit next sure. to them and work with them and continue to put pieces together. And you hit that threshold when you're working on a puzzle where you know, eventually, you know, there's a lot of like blue sky and those pieces look the same. Right. But eventually you get to this threshold where you have enough of it together that then you just start to move forward. And yeah. that's what I hope that having people with different disciplines come together and work collectively and collaboratively on this is going to achieve. And that's where uh, what gives me hope is that I have a, you know, there's a role that I think... Uh, that provides an opportunity for me to come in and fill in a gap of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and whether that's something that fills in a gap of knowledge that on something we're working on or something that's an idea that leads to something else that somebody else has been working on, mm -hmm. 
um, it doesn't matter to me as long as we're collectively moving together. And that's where I see a lot of hope is people coming together uh, for that kind of common goal and embracing actually our scientific differences because they complement one another. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, research is a team sport, and, and it takes uh, it takes a whole group to get to the end. So, well, I, I thank you both so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Uh, I've learned a lot, and uh, it's been a great discussion. So, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having. Me. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Quartzcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Quartzcast.